0: well good morning how's everyone doing again good good everyone's awake praise God for that you can take out your Bibles turn to Matthew chapter 1 you do not have the message outline you can pick that up right up out the center doors at the ministry counter I don't know if you ever heard or read the stories about the twin gems. Uh, there were two twins that were born in 1940 uh, they were three weeks after they were born they were adopted in two different families The Lewis family and the Springer family, and both of them named their sons Jim without the other one knowing it. Each knew that they had a twin that existed, but neither had the desire to contact the other twin, even though they only lived 40 miles away. Jim Lewis was raised at the home. He had a dog by the name of Toy. At school, he excelled at woodwork and math, and and he was pretty terrible when it came to spelling. He, He got out of school and he went into the security business. He was a chain smoker he drove a Chevrolet, and he married a girl by the name of Linda, but that didn't work out, and after a few years, he married a girl by the name of Betty. And when he was 37 years old, he decided to, to go and find where his twin lived, and he did the research, and he found he was only 20—I mean, 40 miles away. And he found out that his twin brother, that the Springer family had named him Jim, and his brother Jim also had a dog by the name of Toy. And his brother, Jim Springer, was really good at woodworking and math, but he wasn't so good in spelling. He also got into the security business. He became a chain smoker. He drove a Chevrolet. He fell in love and married a girl by the name of Linda. When that didn't work out, he married a girl by the name of Betty. And both the Jims, both of them, had a son, and they named him James Allen. And only one of them, the spelling, they spelled Allen with one L. The other spelled it with two Ls. The only way the story diverges is that Jim Lewis got divorced from his wife, Betty, and met a woman named Sandy and married her. And so everybody was kind of watching and see if Jim Springer would follow suit when that happened and stuff like that because everything else in their family did. The University of Minnesota did a study on that to find out about relationship, to answer the age-old question, how we are shaped. Is it by nature or is it by nurture? what are the trials that are passed on from, what are the traits that are passed on from one generation to the next is what they would ask. And I remember I was in a church uh, many years ago and there was this family where the children were really, really tall. I mean, they were six, eight, six, ten, six, eleven. all of them were really, really tall and they were all athletic and they all had red hair. And, and so the parents, though, were really tall too. But so the family had some nature that was going on there too, but they also had to nurture because of of the father was very athletic, too, as we see, we see. We saw that. So what is your family trait that you have? What has been passed on to, to you? When people look at you and say, that's been passed to me, and that's a trait. Maybe all the children in your family have red hair. Or maybe what has been passed on to you say, yeah, I have a temper just like my dad or my grandpa, and that's the trait that's been passed on to you. What I want to do today is share with you is we want to look at the genealogies of Jesus. And I know that don't sound real exciting, but as we look at these character traits, uh, and we look at this series called the storyline of Jesus. We want to look at the genealogies in Matthew chapter one. We looked at the genealogy last week, this week, and we'll look at it again next week. And we finished Matthew chapter one in the fourth and fifth week. We're going to finish that and talk about Jesus' birth and those kind of things. So bear with this, but as we're going to look at. So if you could turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter one, very beginning of the New Testament. The writer of the Gospel Matthew is Matthew, who was a tax collector and he became a follower of Jesus. And when he did, God used him to write the gospel, which really outlines the life of Jesus and his teachings. But Matthew starts using the family tree right away, dating back all the way to Abraham is where he goes. And so it's a long list of names. And if you're doing this in a Bible study, you're hoping you're not the one to be called on to read this list, right? That they don't call on me to do this, right? There are lots of names that's easy to mispronounce because we don't talk about these names. These are not names we use today. But he started with Abraham, and the purpose of the list was give us the line, give us the royal line of Jesus, because that's a royal line, right? The royal line of Jesus. And we looked at it last week, and you expect to find, in the family line of Jesus, you expect to find some pretty faithful people. You expect to find some superstars there. And there are some of those there, but you also find some rascals, and we talked about them last week. But you also find three ladies are in the line. One of them was an outsider. The other one was a prostitute. So these people were in the line of Jesus. Think about that. These were the people in the line of Jesus. Their lives had been redeemed, and they had been changed. And aren't you glad that God didn't change it? He said, I'm going to take this name out, not add that name. But he included all those names in that list. We're going to look at the second part of this list. But there's the second group. There are three groups, remember, 14 names in each one of those groups. But this second group, what's interesting about this group is that they're all kings. All these are kings that we're going to look at today. It starts up with David, but they're all kings that we're going to look at. So theoretically, you could say this is the cream of the crop, right? You could say these guys you would expect to be the most moral. You would expect them to have leadership skills and standards. And you will find that here. You're going to find that in this list in some of them. But that's not the common thread you're going to find. The common thread that you're going to find from this list is the word rebellion. Rebellion's all over it. We want to look at that today if you have your outlines three ways rebellion ruins our lives number one rebellion runs in the family it does it runs in the family it starts here with david king david verse six and it says in jesse the father of king david as soon as you see the word king there and it's talking about king david it's a reminder the list will include another king that will come in verse 17 and that's king jesus remember it's going to end with king jesus the ultimate king so david begins the lesson jesse the father of king david you remember what happened here god chose david god mentioned to uh, uh samuel i've got saul as king but my hand has been taken off of saul because of his rebellion so he says therefore go go anoint another king i've chosen one of jesse's sons to be king i want you to go to jesse's house and anoint a king so he goes to jesse's house. samuel does and he says, jesse bring out your sons and jesse brings out his son in order who we thought would be king probably starting with the oldest And he brings out all of his sons, and God says to Samuel, I haven't chosen any of these sons. Ask him if he has another son. And he says, Jesse, you have any other sons? Yeah, I have my youngest. He's out there. He's a shepherd boy. He's out there watching the sheep. Bring him in. As soon as he comes in, God says to Jesse, this is the one I have chosen. Anoint him as king. And what a wonderful principle you learn from Scripture that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the inside. God looks at the heart, right? And God said, this is the one. This is a man after my own heart. And many of the Psalms that were written, were written by David. We get much enjoyment out of reading those psalms. David was a strong leader. He united the people. But there's one sad story in his life that's mentioned right here in verse 6. Look, look at it. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. If David could get one a mulligan in one day of his life, he would gladly take it. Let me share this story. Maybe you know it, and maybe you don't. To remind you what the story is. The story starts out with King David, and the Bible says his kings would go off to war. David didn't go off to war. He stayed home, and he sent his army to go fight without him. And one day, as David's looking out of of his kingdom, over his balcony, he looks down, and he sees a woman bathing. When he should have looked away, instead, he ran toward it, right? And the Bible said he had a relationship with her, and soon she was going to have a baby. But this lady has a husband, which is one of David's mighty men, who's off at battle defending David's kingdom. So David's plan was to make matters even worse. And what do you do when you sin? Usually we don't plan it. Some of us plan to sin, but usually we don't plan it. When we sin, we have to respond and do the right thing. And the right thing we have to do is confess it, get right with God, and change direction, right? So we understand when we sin, if we're walking with God, we don't sin. We're walking with God. When we sin, we always turn from God and we sin. We're never walking with God when we just sin. Because sin is when we do things our own way. That's a definition of sin. I do my will, do things my, my way. And when I do that, when I'm ever doing that, I'm turning away from God. I'm doing things my way and going this way. So what we have to do when we sin, we have to confess it. We have to repent, change our direction, change our mind, and turn back toward God. Repent and start walking with God. That's what God asked Cain to do, said to Cain in uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6-7. through 7, Cain had brought an uh, offering that was not acceptable to God. And God said, Cain, if, if you do what is right, he says, will you not be accepted? Will there not be a lifting up? He says, will there not be lifting up in your face if you do that? See, w- when we sin, it doesn't matter how bad our sin is. It doesn't matter that at all. There's forgiveness that comes with confession, right? There's always forgiveness that comes with confession. And the, from the verse that I share with you almost every week, I share it because it's one of the great promises of Scripture. And you should know it. What is it? First John 1, 9. Let me share with you. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful enough, faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins, and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not maybe, He will. He promises. I will forgive you of all unrighteousness, what he says. So we sin, we don't run from God, we run toward God, and we ask, God, be merciful. God forgive me of my sin. Cain didn't do that. He killed his brother. David didn't do that. He had a plan. He brought Uriah back and thought, so Uriah could be responsible, he thought. Somehow he would think it was his baby. But Uriah was too noble for that. So Uriah was sent back out into battle, and David's plan was, he sent Uriah back out to the front lines of the battlefield, and he had the troops retreat from around Uriah, so he stuck out there by himself, and he was struck down. He was killed. So here's a guy you have who is king, who is the king in the line of Jesus, who is a murderer and an adulterer, we see. And you say there's a trait that has passed on here, not only from David to Solomon, but really goes all the way back to Adam, for all of us, not just for them. And it's our memory verse this week. That's why I put it in here Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. Therefore, just as sinner, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, because of that sin, death has come. And in this way, death came to all men, all people, because all, every one of us, have sinned. And we we all have done that. We've all sinned, and death has come to every one of us. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, who can know it? We need redemption, every one of us. Every one of us needs it. Not just Adam, not just, we do too. And verse 6 says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Why did God include that? Why would he include that? Why did he have to include that line, whose mother had been Uriah's wife? Because that would be a traumatic reminder to all, everyone reading this, of the sin of David and of the grace of God. That David sinned mightily, right? He sinned, we all recognize, but of the grace of God. How wonderful and amazing the grace of God is. Unfortunately, when I mention David to Bible students, they're going to remember David for one or two things. For Goliath or Bathsheba, right? And you say, that's not fair, that's not fair. After a life of serving you're remembered for one bad decision in your life. But that happens all the time in our lives, right? And all those are in leadership, whether in leadership in the marketplace and business, whether you're leadership in the community, or your leadership here in the church. You know, we all know, don't we, that we're one mistake away, just one mistake away, one wrong decision from causing irreparable damage to our families and to our community. So we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our minds. David didn't guard his eyes. He didn't guard his heart. He wasn't held accountable. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He should not have been there. And he sinned greatly against God. Because rebellion runs in the family. It runs in the family in all of us. It runs in our family. The second way rebellion runs, ruins our, fa- ruins our lives, rebellion is us at our best. Always remember that. You and I are always prone to rebellion against God. We have a propensity to sin. So listen to what it says in verse 6, the second part. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was a very wise man. God blessed him with wisdom. Many people believe he was the wisest man to ever lived, besides the God man Jesus, of course. He wasn't as wise as him. But he'd always didn't, he always didn't always act wisely. He made a lot of mistakes. It seemed like his heart was inclined toward money and women. And if you ever find a man where the heart's inclined toward women and money, it's always going to find trouble. And that's what happened to Solomon. He got in all kinds of trouble, all kinds of, it had so many different wives. When you look at verse 6 through 11, you would think that as you look at these kings, they're the cream of the crop. These people are going should, should expect things that are fantastic from them. And you find some of that, but not in all of them. By the way, you remember David? When David wanted to build a house for God because the Ark of the Covenant was there in the tabernacle, was in the tent. And David says, I live in this palace. I live in this uh, kind of paneled home is what he says, this beautiful home. And God lives in a tent. That's not right. So he shares with the prophet Nathan. He says, no, I want to build God a house. And Nathan said, David, go for it. I think it's a great idea. But Nathan went home that night, and God came to Nathan and says, no, you need to go back and tell David he can't build the house. But God gave David a reason. He said, David, I don't want you to build me a house because I want to build you a house. And from your house, from your lineage, from that throne will come one who will sit on that throne and reign forever and ever and ever. So every day of the coronation of a new king, you would gather your children and say, we've got to be there. You want to be there because this may be the king that fulfilled the promise that was given to our grandfather David or our great-grandfather David. And the king would come. The king would come. It might be Solomon. It might be uh, uh, Rehoboam. It wasn't very long in their administration in the kingdom where you realize this isn't the guy. This is the guy at all. And they would realize that soon because mercy and truth haven't come together righteousness and peace were far from this administration and it did not happen is the way the bible said it was going to happen so this wasn't the one so it says solomon the father of rehoboam rehoboam came he was the son of solomon and he's a king now and he talked with the older advisors probably the ones that advised his father solomon and he says what do i need to do my dad was pretty hard on the people with taxes and so forth what do i need to do to be successful and the older advisors told him so your dad was tough What you need to do is lighten up. You need to lighten up. And if you lighten up, the people are going to love you, and you're going to be able to lead. Well, Rehoboam didn't like that, so he went to the younger advisors, probably people around his age, and he says, you know, my dad was tough. What do I need to do to succeed? And they said, you're right, your dad was tough. Will you be even tougher? Double down on those taxes. Double down on them. And he listened to the younger advice, and then the, the kingdom was split. From that time on, it was divided. From that time on... And from that point on, they had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom had ten tribes called Israel. The southern kingdom had two tribes. And they were divided until 722 B.C. when the Assyrians came and took the northern ten tribes off into captivity. Rehoboam was responsible for that because he made a big mistake. He made a big mistake and he did not listen. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah was a horrible horrible king and david became the standard by which all kings would be judged at that time and in fact they would say of the other kings he followed the lord as his father david did so david was the standard and maybe say, but david had a great sin yeah david had a great sin but david was a great confessor of his sins right read psalm 32 read psalm 51 i i encourage you to read them you will see the brokenness of a man that came to the grips of the heavy hand of god in psalm 32 Abijah was a bad king. He was a bad king. But Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was a good king, and he followed in the footsteps of David, is what the Bible says. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, if God blesses you with the son, don't bless, don't bless him and name him Jehoshaphat. That don't seem like a good name, right? That's a difficult name. But Jehoshaphat was a good good king. It was a real good king. And maybe you say, is Josaphat the one? No, he's not the one. He's not the one to take the throne and last forever and ever. Verse eight: Joshaphat the father Jehoram. Jehoram was a horrible king. He was a bad king. So Jehoram, the father Uzziah. And if you know your Bible, say, Yeah, I I, I hear that Uzziah name. It's been referenced a couple times in Scripture. He was a very accomplished king. He reigned for 52 years, and he accomplished more more most kings did in Israel. He conquered the Philistines. David didn't even do that. And he invented these instruments of warfare that were used effectively some people believe it was a catapult we don't really know but they were used effectively but he made a huge mistake the bible says that he was lifted up in pride and one day he decided to walk up the steps of the temple and offer a sacrifice what you need to know that kings don't offer sacrifices priests offer sacrifices so there there was a godly priest there by the name of azariah who met up the top of the steps and said what are you going to do and king josiah says "Uh, i come to offer a sacrifice I'm the king. In other words, I'm the king. I'll do whatever I want to do. I can do whatever I want to do. And the priest stood along with 80 other priests, and he said to King Uzziah, you're not going to disobey God. You're not going to offer a sacrifice in this place. And the king persisted, and the Bible says that leprosy broke out on his forehead immediately. And this is the king, the king of the nation, who spent the last 10 years of his reign outside of the city of Jerusalem, outside of that in a leper colony because they have leprosy when he first started his kingdom many people thought could this be the one could he be the one that god promised us and they soon found out no this isn't the one this is the one at all so uzziah the father of jotham jotham the father of ahaz and then ahaz the father of hezekiah hezekiah is one of my favorite kings of judah i i, I always love this story it's got two remarkable stories in there and there are other stuff but you remember the story of hezekiah? hezekiah hezekiah was a good king he was a good king Hezekiah became ill, and God told Hezekiah to get your house in order because you are going to die. And Hezekiah begins to cry out to God, plead with God, and God says, Okay, Hezekiah, I'm going to give you 15 more years to live. If you were given 15 more years to live, is that a blessing or would that be a curse? We don't even know what we have today, do we? We're not guaranteed that. We don't know how much time we have. But God gave him 15 years. If you have 15 years, you go down and say, man, I'm going to plan my funeral arrangements. right? I'm going to go down there and they can make the gravestone. This is the day I'm going to die because God has given me 15 years. Put this date on it. This is the day. But if you have 15 more years, you're going to use those 15 years wisely. Hezekiah Hezekiah didn't. You see, how do you know that? There's a couple of reasons. But one of them is in verse 10, it says, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, his son Manasseh, uh, if I've got 15 years, I'm going to pour my life into my son Manasseh to make sure he's not one of the nastiest and worst, worst kings in all of Israel. Manasseh was. He was a horrible, horrible king. Rebellion is in all of us, we need to understand, at our best days, in, in all, every one of us. And I look at this list. A number of things come to my mind as I think about this list. One of them is going back to that nurture or nature. Uh, our children all inherited a trait from us. And it's called our sin nature, all of us. We've handed down that sin nature. Every one of our kids are, are, have that nature in them. We don't teach our children to disobey. They know that, right? They know how to disobey. We don't teach your children to be mean. They get that on their own. What our children need to know is to know Jesus is what they need, right? They need to know Jesus. And when we bring a baby home from the hospital, we should all real, come to the realization that we've just given birth to eternity, right? That's what they are. They're eternal. That this little baby is a living soul in a body that they're going to grow and change, but one day they're going to die because of the curse that goes all the way back to Adam. That's the reason they're going to die, all the way back to there. And so my responsibility for that little baby, as the baby grows as a mom or dad, my responsibility is to teach them the ways of God, to show them how to know Jesus, to show them how to walk with God, and to be that example, that model in their life. My ultimate goal is not to get them to the right college. My ultimate goal is not to get them in the right program or get them in this event or that event or help them to find the right mate. Even though those things are important, they're important. The most important thing I can do for my child is prepare them to meet Jesus one day. That's the most important thing. That one day they're going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account. Every one of us, those who don't know Christ, will give an account and be sent away for eternity for him. For us who know Jesus we're going to stand before him too. If you if you don't understand it, it's called the bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. That every one of us will have to stand before him, not give an account of our sins, because that was done at the cross. Jesus paid for those. We're going to have to give an account. What have I done with the life since I've known Jesus? What did I do with my time? Have I spent my time wisely with Jesus. If I spent it on myself, if I served in His kingdom, and those, I'm going to have to give an account of my talents, my gifts, my abilities. If I use them for my own glory, if I use them for God, if I served them to church, if I if I. Built up the body with my gifts, and God gives me. And I'm going to give account for my resources, my finances. What do they do with my finances? Did I use them all for myself, or did I use them to give my full tithe to the church and for the glory of God to build this kingdom? Or is it all about me? We're all going to have to give an accountability, and at the the end of that, God's going to reward us. There's nothing left, what I did with those things that he given me, that I won't receive a reward. Those who spent them wisely, used them wisely, there will be a reward at the end. And we're all working for that reward that god gives us none of us want to stand before god and say yeah welcome to my kingdom but you didn't do anything for me none of us want to stand before the creator the one who died for us to do that so your most important job as a mom or dad is to prepare your children to meet jesus one day that they know him and they walk with him in this life right amen that they do that and when you look at this list you've got good kings you've got bad kings while there are no guarantees with parenting we all want to do our very best right we all want to do our best when we parent. Everything we can, the most important thing that we can do is to pass on the heritage of knowing Jesus to our children and how to walk with them and to model that and be that example for our children. These guys didn't do a very good job of that. And maybe some of us didn't either. And we say, no, it's too late. Boy, I'd like to have some of those days back. I'd like to have maybe some of those years back. I wish I could just get a whole mulligan on this parenting thing. You ever think that? Just get a mulligan. We can't. We can't, guys. And not, let me give you an encouragement. Don't beat yourself up. None of us have done it all right. But we haven't done it all wrong either. And God can use those times. He can use those energies. God can use those things to change their lives. But let me encourage you. Don't give up. If your children are still alive, listen to me. Don't stop investing in them. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop taking the opportunity to share with them what's most important to you. is Jesus. Make it be Jesus. Don't make it be anything else. When you're sharing with your children, let them realize the most important thing to you is Jesus. Knowing him and walking with Jesus. And if God blesses you with grandchildren, they're eternal too. Make sure they're investing in them. Let's pour our lives in the next generation, right? You know, my dad has been gone for about a dozen years now. My dad wasn't a believer when I was a child. I grew up, my parents were not believers. I came to be— Uh, be it a believer in Jesus Christ when I was in my 20s. I was a first-generation Christian in my family, and my parents helped lead them a few years after that they came to Christ. But my parents still taught me things, even though they weren't a believer in Christ. They taught me to work hard, to be disciplined in what I do, treat people the way that I want to be treated. And and my mom and dad always shared that they loved me. I always knew they loved me because they told me all the time. All the time they tell me I love it, so I never doubted my parents' love for me no matter what. And I thought every, every household had that, but I soon found out that it was not, that I was blessed to have parents like that. But they taught me many things, maybe more than I realized that they taught me. Uh, most of them good, but some of them weren't. Some of them were good things. When I'm older now, they weren't good, but most of them were good things. And my question is, what are we teaching our kids today? When people say of our children, they were just like dad or they're just like mom, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Let's invest in our children. Let's give our children our very, very best is what we're called to do. They are precious, precious opportunities for each and every one of us. Years go by so quickly. Let's learn from these guys in Scripture, okay? Let's learn from them, not do what they do. Let's invest in our children. And as I say invest in our children, many times people misunderstand what I'm saying. They think, okay, that's good because I'm going to get them involved in this and involved in that and take them over here make sure they're involved in that program and this and this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about temporary things. I'm talking about eternal things. I'm talking about spiritual things. Let's invest in our children about who Jesus is so they might know him and how to walk with him. Because I said one day they're going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account of their life. That's your responsibility is to invest in him and share with them about who he is and how to walk with him. And moms and dad that you might be the example for them. That's your responsibility, that you live the, live the, the, the life in front of them so they can follow your example and now look for everyone else to do it for you moms and dads you are the primary teacher of your children god has given them to you you are blessed with them The church is just a supplement they can only come alongside of you and help but you're the ones who are going to be responsible for your children we can only help you sunday school teachers can only help you but you're the primary influencers primary teachers of your children so it's up to us To make sure our children know about Jesus and are walking with Jesus and look at our lives and can say, boy, that's how you live it. That we model it. That we do everything that we can and pour our lives into them. Because this next generation, your children, your grandchildren, that's your legacy, right? It's not an expanded kingdom. It's not measured in dollars and buildings and cents. It's measured in the lives of the next generation. Have we reached them? Do they know Jesus? Do they know how to walk with Jesus? Can they walk with Jesus? Will they live that life even when I'm gone, will it continue on to my grandchildren, to the next generation? Have I done my job to hand down my faith, and they seen it in my life? That's what we're called to do. Amen? So let's make sure we reach the next generation as we do this. Let me share one other thing. The third way rebellion ruins our lives, rebellion results in our exile. It says in verse 11, And Josiah, the father Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to the the verse begins with hope, but it ends with hopelessness, is what we see here. Josiah turned out to be a wonderful king. He was a great king, but he started his reign when he was eight years old. Can you imagine a president being eight years old? They're still eating their lucky churns for breakfast, right? They're still young, but he was eight years old. He became king, and he grew and developed, and one day, his men came to him To him, and he says, we were cleaning up the building. We, we found this. What they found was the book of the law. What well, we would say, it was the Bible, right? They found the Bible. Its like. And the Bible says that Josiah tore his clothes in lamentation. And the, the book of the law, God's word to them had been lost. Uh, they had been so neglected. They were not living by it. And so Josiah says, this can't go on. And he called the nation back to revival. And he says, we're going to get back to worshiping God according to the book of the law. So he tore down their high places where they were worshiping their idols. And he called the people back to the worship of Yahweh, to the one true God. God, with whom there are no rivals. And so they worship. They worship. We need that today, don't we? We need a revival in our hearts. Let me talk to you about worship a little bit. That's always a passion of mine to talk. And, and we we talk about the church as worship. Josiah was getting the people back to worship. We talk as a worship, as, as a church, as a congregation, as a local assembly, as we come on Sunday morning. Everything we do in our life is worship, by the way. Everything you do is worship. But as we come as a collective, as a local assembly, as we come in here, that as we worship, we work collectively, but our worship, guys, breaks down personally between you and God. Do you realize that? It's Between you and God. So everything that we do as we come in is to worship our creator, the one who created us out of nothing. The one who created everything that we see with our eyes out of nothing. That's God. The one who redeemed us and saved us by giving his own self to us so we can have redemption, be forgiven for sins. This God, we come before him and we worship him. God is in another category. He's almighty. We're coming to worship him. And he expects us to worship him in a certain way. So when the prayers are being said or the songs are being uh, sung and the word is being opened, that we don't sit here and our minds are kind of leaning, you know, maybe I'm worshiping a song and I'm kind of leaning on the chair in front of me and I'm singing. It's just lip service. God doesn't want that lip service. You understand? That's not worship. You say, well, I just worship God. If you're given lip service, you do not worship God god doesn't expect us to come there and lean he expects to be here ready to worship him and give our all not leaning not having something in our hands but to give our full attention to him that means my intellect my heart my soul my being i'm giving to god in worship that's the worship god accepts and if you and i try to come any other way god said that's not worshiping me god wants uh, everything that we have so we come into worship doesn't matter who's on stage or what's not on stage doesn't matter what matters is those words that are on the screen that we're lifting those words up and we're singing them to our god between you and him and you're giving glory and honor to him whatever they are and you're singing them with your total being not part way not just lip service with everything you have it might be raising of hands it may not but one thing you're doing is from your total being from your intellect your mind your heart your soul your total being i'm giving it to god and honoring him that's the kind of worship Josiah was calling him to. That's the kind of worship that God wants from you and I every day as we come on, on Sunday mornings, that we give our all. Now, I'm in front. I don't know how many any of you worship, but I, hopefully that's what you're giving. If you're giving any less, doesn't God deserve our best? Doesn't he deserve everything that we have when we worship him? It's not a joke. It's not a time to joke and talk to your neighbors and all. Worship is to give our undivided attention to our creator, to the one who's redeemed us. died on the cross for our sins and we worship him with everything we have it should be a joy and a celebration to worship him right should be really easy for all that he's done for us for us to come and worship that's what we would need to do that's what god was that's what josiah was calling him back to see it started out with josiah and maybe people were looking and asking is josiah the one is he the one who can fulfill the promise of david is sitting on that throne and they soon realized no he's not the one Listen, there's not a Redeemer on this list that I just read today. But everyone is a reminder of that promise, uh, that there's a Redeemer coming, and that will come, we'll see that culminate in verse 17. And I hate to break it, but you know the story, you know the story, but let me share it with you anyway, because we're getting close to Christmas. The king that started with David will result in a greater king that was revealed to us in verse 17, prophesied eight centuries earlier by Isaiah. Let me read the passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 where it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. We sang about that this morning, right? And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, the Davidic Covenant, what was promised. They're looking for the one to come. Here he is, establishing and upholding it, With justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It also says in Psalm 85, verse 10, where love and faithfulness meet together, righteousness and peace kiss each other. And Jesus fulfilled that. He was the one to fulfill that, only one that could fulfill that. And so verse 11 ends in exile and hopelessness, but it's only built into a crescendo. It's the birth of Jesus, where he's talking about a great light was to come into this dark, dark world, and it was the birth of Jesus, Jesus would be born. That's what it's culminating to, that Jesus would be born. And everything changed from that moment on. The world could not stay the same. You and I cannot remain the same once we meet Jesus Christ. Everything should change. Our life should not be the same that it was before we met him. It should be radically changed. Because whatever Jesus touches, it changes, right? Let me just give you a couple things to remind you of. One, the Redeemer can never be found in a human being. There's no human being, it's the Redeemer. The is only found in the God-man, Jesus. Jesus wasn't a man. He was God, 100% God, and he was 100% man. He was both. The only one could fit that bill was Jesus. That's why we worship. That's why our worship, when I talk about, especially this Christmas season, should be full, enriched. We know, we know him. We understand who he is and what he's done for us. Let's understand and worship at a tremendous gift that God has given to us, that God gave the world, he says, yet while still sinners... Christ died for us, right? And if you don't know him, if you don't know him yet, Jesus is your only hope. And I have to be honest with you, I just got to cheer with you with all due respect that if you don't know Jesus, that you're an appointment with God that you're not yet ready for. That one day you're going to have to stand before him. You're not ready to stand in front of him if you don't know Christ. Give your heart and life to Jesus today. Be covered by his righteousness today. Understand that we're all sinners. Everyone in this room is a sinner. I'm not just pointing you out. Every one of us. I'm a sinner. We all are. We've all sinned against an almighty God. We've all turned our backs on God. We've all sinned. And the Bible says that God knows that, and there's nothing we can do it because God is righteous, perfect, holy, and just. Every He is, and we're not. And so God sent his son Jesus into the world, and Jesus came, and he went to the cross, and God placed all of your sins, all those things that separate you from God, and he paid your sin debt. Jesus was your substitute on that cross. He paid for your sins. That's God's grace. And now you and I have to respond to that by faith, by putting our faith and trust in Jesus and doing that. Don't hesitate to do that. I say this every Sunday, and I know you probably hear me every Sunday say this. I say this every Sunday. And maybe you say to yourself, you know, I'll do it someday. Someday I'm going to do that, you know. Someday I'll do that. I think people tell me in the past that, uh, I'll do it someday, you know, that day when I get kind of sick and I'm about ready to die, maybe I'll do it then, but I'll do it someday. The caution comes to me in Genesis chapter 6, where God says these words that are chilling. Listen to what he says. My spirit will not contend with man forever. In other words, what he's saying, we don't determine our day of salvation. We don't look in the future and say, this is the day that I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Some people think that. So people think I'll do it this day in the future. You know, and I get older and I can't go out and have all the fun, then I'm gonna accept Jesus. Listen to me, listen. We don't know when that day comes if our hearts will be receptive to Jesus. We don't know if the Holy Spirit is the Bible say he may not be working in our hearts. We may have closed our hearts to him. We may have hardened our hearts by that time. So salvation is for today. So if God is speaking to your heart at all, the Holy Spirit is reminding you that you are a sinner. And he's opened up your eyes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins. Accept him today. Do not delay. Don't think I've got tomorrow. Do it today. Today's the day of salvation. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? If you don't know him, come and talk to me. That's the most important decision you can make in your life because that determines where you will spend eternity. This life is for a very short time. Eternity is forever, right? Right? If you know Jesus, you'll be with him forever. If you don't, or if you ignore him, means you rejected him, you will spend an eternity apart from him, a place that we don't want anybody to be there. So accept Jesus. If you have questions, please see me after the service. Then for all of us who know him, let's leave a, leave a legacy, not only with our children, make sure our children know Jesus and leave a legacy both our grandchildren and the next generation. Let's leave, leave a legacy as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Right? We are his representatives we as representatives, let's go forth and and share Jesus, the good news. He says, go share, go share the good news with people. Tell them about the love of Jesus. Let's look for opportunities this Christmas. Maybe write people's names down. Man, I can invite them to church, to come to church for a Christmas Eve service or during Christmas. I promise they're going to hear the gospel, okay? Or share the gospel. But you look for opportunities that God might use you. And so many times when Christmas comes, we look about buying gifts and giving everyone a gift. And we miss... What Christmas is about is about God giving the greatest gift of all, the Son. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whoever shall believe him shall not perish but have eternal life. They, the Christmas is all about God's gift to us, and it's his Son, Jesus, that he sent him into the world to eventually grow up and go to the cross and die for you and I so we can have forgiveness of sins. And if you don't know Jesus, put your faith and trust in him, right, today. If you have questions, please see me. For all of us who know Jesus, let's look for those opportunities to share God's gift, the greatest gift ever given to those that we know. Let's invite them to church so they, too, can have eternal life, so they, too, can understand what the true meaning of Christmas is about. It's not about us giving gifts. That's wonderful. We do those things. But it's about God's gift to us, the greatest gift ever given, an eternal gift. The gifts that we give to people are temporary gifts. Probably, guys, you know that. Within a year or sometimes, we put it in a closet or whatever throw it away or whatever they do with it but the gift that god gives lasts forever it never gets old it's for eternity it is the gift of jesus eternal life amen Let, let's pray you come and we praise you because there is no one like you lord you are second to none there is no rival there is no one like you there is no one as powerful as you there is no one as smart as you there is no one. is everywhere and every place that you are. There's only one. It's you. There's only one creator. It's not two. There's only one. All others who claim to be God are false gods. There's only one true God, and it's you. No matter what anybody else says, those are all false gods. And you've proven that. You've proven that with the Egyptians, God, when you brought the, the plagues upon them, showed them that their gods could not stand up to you. There's no one. They're all false gods. There's only one true God. And I pray, Lord, that in our hearts and minds, as followers of Jesus Christ, we would live like we really believe that. We would live it, Lord, in our lives every day. Not just say it with words, but our actions, that there's only one true God. And if people don't know you through your son, Jesus, they will spend an eternity apart from you. And this Christmas season gives us all kinds of advantages and opportunities because we have a holiday, Christmas, that, that celebrates our Lord and Savior, and many of the people in the world, in our community, in our workplace, in and our, and our family and friends don't even understand that. They know it's something about Jesus, but they don't know about the precious gift that was given to the world by God. His son, salvation, redemption, deliverance, God's grace, bestowed upon us, Jesus, God's wonderful gift. To every person who would put their faith and trust in him and accept Jesus Christ, everyone, And Lord, we've, we've, we, we understand it. Help us, Lord. Help us this Christmas to use the opportunities you give us to share your great gift with others. Let us not hoard it to ourselves. Let us not hide it. But, Lord, let us freely give it out to others. And, Lord, as we, as we look at the family line of Jesus, Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful, Lord, because uh, it's not perfect people in that line. They're sinners saved by the grace of God, sinners who have been redeemed and changed by you. We're so thankful because that's us. And, Lord, as I said last week, when the line comes to Jesus, it just kind of ends. It ends. And we think, boy, that's it. There's nobody else in the line. But then we find out later, and Isaiah tells us that there's a spiritual line. And everyone who puts their faith and trust in God's Son, Jesus, they're part of the spiritual line of Jesus. We are children of God, and we're following that line. We're not in that royal line before Jesus, but we come after. We're in the spiritual line. We praise God for every one of us that knows Christ. they are in the line that spiritual line spiritual children of jesus every one of us there's no praise and i pray that everyone in this room and everyone might be listening online lord might know you and if they don't today by the power of the holy spirit convict them this morning that their sinners is in need of a savior and there's only one savior that has been given under heaven and it's your son jesus christ they to come and put their faith and trust in him for forgiveness of sins it's the only way lord we praise you and thank you so much for your salvation Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would understand that this morning and no matter where we are in our life this morning, if we haven't lived a life totally dedicated to you, yielding our hearts and minds to you, that can change this morning. To morning, this morning right now Lord, we confess that sin and say, God, I haven't done right. Maybe I've not parent right. Maybe I haven't lived right. I confess that today, Lord, I surrender to you this morning and help me to live the life that you call me. Help to honor you and glorify you with my time, talents, my resources, my finances, all those. And I may give glory to you and build your kingdom and not my kingdom. Lord, let us turn from our sins and and turn toward you to live a life that is is holy before you, because that's what you called us to, to be your representatives here on this earth, Lord. And when people see us, they might see you. Lord, we praise you and thank you for that opportunity. So this time, Lord, I ask you to work in our hearts and minds. If we don't know Jesus, convict us of our sin and help us to accept him. If we do know Jesus, let's surrender our hearts to you and uh, yield our hearts and minds, not our way, but your way. Lord, we ask all these things in that precious name of Jesus. Amen.